Good, good, good. Um, everybody all right? This is the graveyard shift. So uh, this is where you start to doze a little bit. And so don't worry, we'll be fine. Um, Roy was mentioning there about um, Abram and Lot. And one of my favorite stories, um, I've been going to talk to you a little bit about the mission. And the mission, I suppose, is to... to is longevity, isn't it? The mission is as we get older. Um, I, I asked Roy this morning what age he was because I'm so delighted to tell you he's older than me. <laughs> All right, one year. So my, my big one next year. So, um, but uh, it's, it's, really, it's really exciting. As you get older, there's something about finishing well. There's something about wanting to make sure you finish well. Um, because there's loads of stories in the Bible where people didn't finish well. There's loads of stories in our society where people haven't finished well. Handovers haven't been wonderful throughout the Bible. Handovers, even in our country, haven't been brilliant in both ministry and politics and all of that. People aren't good at handing over. And, um, and there's something about releasing that next generation of leaders. And one of the things I love about the story of Abram in the Genesis 22 moment um, whenever God spoke to Abram and said, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and I want you to take him up, and I want you to offer him in that place. And so he goes, you, you, you probably all know the story, he climbs the mountain, Isaac, his son, said, Dad, I see the fire, I see the wood, but where's the lamb? He says, don't worry, son, God will provide a lamb. And, um, and I'm a word person, all right? I grew up, I, I'm a brethren boy, so I got versed in the Word of God. I thank God for the heritage of the Word that I have and the people who taught me in it. I love that, and I, it's something that I'm always proud of, and I honor because um, I am who I am because of that grounding in the Scripture. And, um, and, and, but sometimes, you know, because I, I'm one of those people, I'm a bit like Roy, I still like the paper, and I go, I, I still, I'm one of those people who still, my, my, my home Bible's racked. I, I keep it under my pillow at night. Um, it's sort of one of those things I wrestle with sometimes, when, even when I'm sleeping. It's kind of weird, but that's just the way it is. I've always loved the Word, and so I'm a Word person, all right? And, um, as, but sometimes, I, I feel sometimes, as believers, we are so tied into the Word, at times we miss the voice. And God still speaks today. There are remas that come from the Word. And so what happens in Abram's story? God speaks to him. God gives him a word going off of your son. He climbs the mountain. He's about to stick the dagger into his boy. And guess what happens? God speaks again. And I think some of us have forgotten that. Some of us in, in the idea that um, church has become more of an invention than a creation, um, we forgot that actually God still speaks and there's the rhema word of God that comes out. You know that, that, that bit that you read and it jumps out of the page. You think, wow, I never saw that before. And the Holy Spirit starts to enlighten something to our soul. The word of God, the voice comes again. The voice says, don't lay your hand upon the lad. And then he says this. I love this. He says, for now I know. Now I know. And I think there are moments in your life that are now I know moments. Now, if Abraham had been so transfixed in the word and he didn't listen to the voice, he would have slayed his Isaac. And I wonder how many of us in 
the process of keeping the invention going have missed the fresh manna and the voice from heaven and that now I know moment. I can go back to certain moments in my life that I feel are now I know moments. So those moments that actually um, ring through for me in such a way that are very, very powerful. And I brought the flip chart up, my little friend here. So um, I hope you can see. I bought a, a pen, but I lost it, so I'll have to use this one. Um, I, I, I have done a little bit of this in, in church. We did a series back in Emmanuel um, on Acts, take the church right through Acts. And we based it basically, I based the Sunday morning teaching on the word devotion. And we took it out of Acts 2 where we said that the, the, the disciples were devoted to, they were devoted to five things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayers, to breaking of bread, uh, so on and so on. So this line is our devotion line. What I'd love you to think about um, in the 25, 30 minutes that I have, or 24 minutes now that I have, um, I want you to think about where you are on that devotion continuum, where you are. If, you, if, you're, if here is zero and here is 12, we know that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. According to John 10, 10, we've got a, a thief who whenever there's low devotion in our lives, he comes and he steals and he kills and he destroys. I used to say to my kids when they were small, the devil doesn't want to hurt you or scrape you, he wants to kill you. All right? But God has come that we might have life. And, and so the idea is, where would you score yourself on this continuum? Would you, would you score yourself? Would you say, I'm devoted, I'm all out, I'm devoted, or I'm a four or five, or at this moment in time, I feel the enemy has crept in and I'm a little bit of a, a maybe a zero and there's a stealing and there's a killing and there's a destroying going on in my life. I love the, the, the Bible, um, and in 1 John 5, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is on the screen, I think, 1 John 5. Um, it says, uh, John is about mid-90s at this stage. He has outlived every other apostle by 40 plus years. He is the apostle who laid his head on the bosom, on the breast of Jesus. He has Miles and miles of experience. He's an old man. He's writing his epistle against Gnosticism, which was a, a theory, basically, that allowed you to believe this and live like this. That's probably a lot more to it, but that's probably the basics of it. All right? You could believe this and do this, and they're okay. And, um, and here, John puts pen to paper, and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, I talk to some people sometime, and I say, tell me about eternity. Tell me about your plans for eternity. Oh, well, Phil, you know, um, I hope so. Hope all's okay at the end. If you're in the hope so zone, you need to talk to Roy. Roy's an evangelist, all right? You need to talk to Roy because you live in the hope so zone. You're living in a, you're living in a zone that self-atones, and self-atoning doesn't work. We have a plan where someone else, we mess up, someone else paid the price. That's the amazing thing of the atonement, which is incredible. I know there's loads of weird theories out there about atonement, but we better not get into that or we might have a fight in our hands. But there's something about the atonement, there's something about Jesus Christ paying the price for our sin, taking upon him our sin. The Bible actually says he became sin for me. And then John goes on and he says in 1 John 2, 6, next verse, he says, whoever claims to live in him must live 
as Jesus did. Wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? He, he's saying Jesus was not just a time manifestation, but he was actually the eternal manifestation of the Godhead. He, he, he's saying here, if you want to paint, paint like Rembrandt, if you want to write, write like Shakespeare, if you want to sing, sing like Bono, if you want to play the violin, play it like Paganini, if you want to live, you got to live like Jesus. If you want to live this incredible life, and so it's a standard, I, one of my favorite movies, I love epic movies, and one of my favorite movies is The River Runs Through It. Um, it's a Brad Pitt's The Bad Boy, Greg Sheffer. Uh, it's about Montana, these guys growing up, learning to fly fish, and, and um, it's an incredible movie, and, and it's all the whole idea. Robert Redford is the narrator in the movie. It's a great movie. haven't watched it. You should watch it. And in this movie is the idea that starts off with a river and it ends with a river. My um, son lives in London, him and his wife, and they backpacked through the summer. And I think it's in the next slide. They came to Zurich. And in Zurich, what they do, you, you have a thing called a dry bag. And when you're going to work in the morning, you take your clothes off with your bathing suit underneath it, obviously, and you put your clothes into a dry bag and you jump into the river. And you literally bob down the river till you get to your destination. You get out, you take your clothes out of the dry bag and put them on and you go to work. Quite incredible. Um, pretty cool, isn't it? Imagine going to work like that and they'll be fishing you out in three or four days. But, um, but the word river... The word river or stream is mentioned 150 times in the Bible. And actually, there's a river that runs right through the Bible. Starts in Genesis 2. River watered the garden and flowed out of Eden, divided into four branches. It ends in Revelation 22.1. Then the angel showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God. So there's a river that runs right through the Bible. And I think it's a river... And I'm going to suggest to you what it is. I'm going to suggest to you that many of us as believers have missed exactly what this river is. I believe the river that runs right through the Bible is the grace of God. The grace of God is an incredible subject. You should study it sometimes. Um, Psalm 46 says, there's a river whose streams make glad. John 7 says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So there's no doubt that John 10, 10, this life that the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but he comes to give life to the full. Peter talks about joy, unspeakable and full of glory. And we wear these WWJD bracelets that said, what would Jesus do on the spot? We forget about what Jesus did off the spot. The reason Jesus did on the spot what he could do was because he lived the life off the spot. And so there's this important idea of, of living this life where the two are inseparable. Now, whenever we read scriptures like this, we start to get frustrated because we realize while the Bible says there's life to the full, while the Bible says there's joy unspeakable and full of glory, many of us are sitting here today and our marriages are struggling, our finances are depleting, um, our jobs are maybe been taken by someone else. Our health is failing. There's problems, maybe wayward kids. Things aren't as full as you'd like them to be. 
And you begin to realize, oh, is the Bible really true after all? Is it really joy unspeakable? What about this life to the full? How do we, how do we, how do we get it? So we try to do some things to maintain it. The first thing we do is we try harder. That's the first thing you would do. You would try harder. You think, well, well, there's got to be something in, and, and if they can do it, maybe I can do it. And so you put in some more spiritual elbow grease. You say, ah, I know. A friend told me he gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning to read and pray. Maybe that's what it is. You set your alarm for 4 o'clock in the morning. Nobody wants to be around you at 4 o'clock in the morning, not even Jesus. The problem is, the problem is, the problem is you keep it going for a week and then you miss out and you sleep in and you get guiltier, if that's a word, you're worser and worser, that's Lurgan talk. You're, you're, then, so, so actually, actually the trying harder actually makes it worse. And so you decide, well, trying harder isn't really working. So you do the next thing, you just pretend it doesn't exist. You know the old idea, you fake it till you make it. So you just pretend it doesn't exist and you hope in some shape or form it will go away. And then what you do is you think, well, if that's not working, we rededicate due to emotion. And people rededicate and rededicate and re-re-rededicate. And then if that doesn't work, it's, it's probably the church's fault. And so it's the minister's fault or it's the organizers who change church. And loads of people are just church hopping all over the place because they can't find contentment. And then the saddest thing of all is some, and I think there's some in the room today, actually just give up. Just say, you know what? Maybe this doesn't work at all. Maybe it's just not for me. I had this wonderful experience a few years ago. I was invited to speak to a lad who, was, who had terminal cancer. And uh, his name was Neil. And uh, I went to visit him. He's 23 years of age, cancer of the throat, very, very advanced, lost his voice box, couldn't speak. So he, he, he was writing to me this pad, and I would speak to him. He would write back to me. And I went to home in a little Catholic estate, and, um, and uh, I started to talk to this lad about Jesus, about his salvation. And, and I said to him, have you ever accepted Jesus into your life? And he said, he wrote, no, never, never, don't know how. And there was two little stools, little blue and little pink stool, um, sitting in his living room. And on the wall of this lovely home was a picture of Jesus. And um, his mom was in the room, and I said to him, look, I know you really reverence Jesus, and pictures in the wall show that. I said, Is there any, would you mind if I took that off the wall? And I brought the two little stools together in front of Neil, and I, I, I set the picture of Jesus between the two stools like this here. I said, this is us. This is God. You know it. I said, sin has bridged the gap. We can't, we can't make it. There's nothing we can do. Good works. Everything just keeps falling. Everything just falls short. Nothing gets us across the gap. Um, but I said, Jesus took upon us, took upon himself our sin, and he bridged the gap, and, and he allowed us to stand in the presence of a holy, powerful God. It's beautiful. And um, 
he took his pen and he, on the notepad, he said, I see it. And I led him to the Lord without him actually being able to say a word. Neil died about seven days later. And in that seven-day period, I had the privilege of leading his mom to the Lord, his dad to the Lord, his sister to the Lord, and his aunt to the Lord. In seven days. Some people, a beautiful, beautiful moment. And some people said, oh, Phil, we prayed and he died. Did we feel? I said, no, no, we didn't feel. And when, these, when someone's sick, we pray. We pray and we pray and we pray, but it's God who heals. God's the healer. And so with this idea of, of a problem and a solution, and uh, that, I love grace because the word grace in the Hebrew is shen, the Greek is charis, and it means to stoop in kindness to an inferior or to bestow. But here, here's what's really important for you as a believer in the room this morning, and now there's more believers in the room than there was this morning, which is really exciting. But um, on our next slide, this is really important, and I think many people, many believers don't grab this. When we get saved, we experience God's grace as mercy and acceptance. Important, important, important. As believers, we experience God's grace as power. Believers burn more grace than anybody. I am a grace burner. It is my fuel to live on. I could not be here. I would not be here in a month of Sundays if it weren't for the grace of Almighty God. And rivers and streams always speak of life in the Scriptures. And so Israel was used to gullies, or, or they called them wadis in the wilderness. There was no life in a wadi. There was no life in these gullies. Exodus 15, the waters at Marah were that. They were lifeless waters. They brought death. And so a river, when a river's flow is, a, 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 when it's unobstructed, it can bring much life. When, it's, when there's a, 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 an obstruction in it, it stops the flow and it stops life. Jeremiah um, 17 says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. There's something really powerful about this picture. This wasn't just a little thirsty deer looking to drink. This was a deer that was, it was on its last legs. It was going to die if it didn't get a drink of water. And so it's really important to understand what happens if the flow gets cut off. So here's, here's my little cliche to you, all right? What if, what if the Spirit of God is the river of grace that runs through time and eternity? What if Jesus was right when he said, out of your innermost being would flow living waters? What if today your job is just how to stay in the flow? How do I get into that flow of grace? What if your job is just like our Zurich story, to jump into the river and allow God to move. I think there's one verse in the Bible, if we as believers could understand it, would change your lives. On the screen, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the spirit. I think because we have misunderstood grace, many, many times we just quench the spirit of God in our lives. You see, out of 5,000, I read this survey lately, out of 5,000 Bible-believing, born-again, Sunday morning-attending people polled, a question was asked to give three or more definitions of the description of the grace of God. 
The overwhelming response was salvation, a free, unmerited gift, forgiveness of sins, and the love of God. Those were the top four answers. And all of these are right, but they're not primary. They're all right, but they're not primary. The tragedy is that only 2% of the people polled said that the grace of God was God's empowerment to live. And that's what it is. And if we miss the primary focus, it's like buying a car and, and using your CD player and using your, your, your heated seats and your heated mirrors and all of those and then getting a taxi to work. It's stupid. But you can go home and listen to the... And the problem is you get the taxi to work because nobody has told you what the primary focus was of the car. And the primary focus is to take you to work. And the primary focus of grace, listen, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. If you've got a red letter Bible, that's right in red letter. God refers to grace as his power. This is an empowerment of grace. Maybe the reason that only 2% in our survey saw grace as empowering of Jesus here on earth was that somebody forgot to tell them grace's primary function. And so here's the deal. If you're trying to live this devoted life on your own steam, you will never do it. You'll just end up in one of those five categories. You'll end up just trying harder. You'll end up faking it. You'll end up just frustrated, and you'll end up just saying, you know what, the pot with this, it's just not going to work. But the reason, the reason I believe I devoted my life to God was he gave me the grace to do so. And where much greed, grace was needed, much grace was given. And so what I, what I, I, what I, what I have to offer you today is... Uh, a God the Father who, before the beginning of time, before even the world's foundations were laid, according to Acts, or, um, Ephesians 1, 4, before the, the foundations of the earth were laid, he had a plan and a purpose for you. A lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He had a purpose of salvation for you. Before there ever was sin, there was a Savior. It's beautiful. Can, can I say, can I suggest to you that the Father is fully devoted? He's pretty out there in the devotion continuum. And then there's the Son, Jesus Christ, who, who somewhere in the, in, the, in the past, before the world began, had this conversation, this dance of beauty, where they would know that one day they would create man and that he would fall and he would bring sin and depravity and, and someone would have to pay the price for that sin, someone who was perfect and spotless and sinless, and Jesus says, I'll, I'll go. Can I suggest to you that he's, he's, Jesus is pretty out there in the continuum? And then he actually made a reference. He said his, he, he gathers his disciples together before he goes back to heaven, and he says, guys, listen to me. It's better that I go away. These guys love Jesus. They, like they're saying, Jesus, what are you saying? How is it better? He said, if I go away, he can come. And the Holy Spirit arrives on earth 
And for the last 2,000 years he's been here, I hear people praying all the time, Lord, give us an open heaven. I think, well, we, we, we got one. Holy Spirit arrived 2,000 years ago, and as far as I know, he's still about. Hasn't went back. And so he's available 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. At any moment of time, you can call on the Holy Spirit to come and refresh and refill you. I think I can tell you that he's pretty sold out on the continuum. So my thought to me is, well, if God were to do all that for me, and God were to sell out in such a powerful way where he could land himself and his son and the Holy Spirit on the top of a devotional continuum, how dare I give him any less? How dare I give him less than my best? The writer Paul says, it's a reasonable service. It's the least you can do. Present your bodies as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice to the Holy Spirit. He says it's the very least that you can do. And so there's this idea of this grace that comes that, that changes our lives for time and for eternity. And, and I, you say, well, Phil, how do I get this grace? Here, here's an interesting verse um, in Luke 2. It says that Jesus, the child, grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the what? The grace of God was on him. If Jesus needed the grace of God, I need the grace of God. You need the grace of God. And if, if, if grace is just forgiveness of sins and it's just about salvation, then Jesus didn't need it. So it's an empowerment to live, an empowerment to live. And if we can just get that into our minds, something that will rewrite our story, something that will change our lives is very, very powerful. The story's told of the Chinese bamboo, that you plant the Chinese bamboo and you water it um, for the first year and it doesn't break the soil. You water it the second year, it doesn't break the soil. The third year, it doesn't break the soil, nor the fourth. In the fifth year, the Chinese bamboo will grow 90 foot in 90 days. So the question is, did it take 90 days to grow 90 foot? Or did it take five years? And of course you know the answer, don't you? In those first four years, it is, it is spreading out a, a root system under the ground that no one can see, doesn't break soil, but it spreads a root system that will sustain that growth and that height in such a short period of time. And for many of us as men in the room, there's stuff going on under the soil, stuff going on under the soil of our lives that is, is preparing to support what God brings in your life. And as Roy said at the very start, what God reads out of your life, it's because he has something to bring to it. What do you call the people who talk about flight? Is it orth orthozoologists um, who study birds, study methods of flight? And they say that there's three, there's three um, types of flight. There's flapping, all right? Keeping the wings in constant motion like a hummingbird to counteract gravity. Flapping keeps them in the air, but it's a lot of hard work. And then there's gliding. Here, the birds build up enough speed, then coast downward for a while. Much more graceful than flapping, obviously, but unfortunately, it doesn't get the bird very far. 
and reality in the form of gravity sets in quickly. quickly. Gliding is nice, but it doesn't last very long. And then the third thing is flapping, gliding, and then they talk about soaring, and only a few birds ever get this. The eagle are capable of soaring. Eagles' wings are so strong. This is Google. <laughs> They're capable of catching and rising currents of warmer, Google tells us, thermal winds that go straight up from the earth and without moving a feather can soar to great heights. Uh, eagles have been clocked up to 80 miles an hour without flapping at all. They just soar on invisible columns of air. Folks, the Bible says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and every sin that so easily entangles us. It's not the big, if, if you've ever been bitten by an elephant in here, would you put your hand up? Anybody ever been bitten by an elephant? No? Well, put your hand up if you've ever been stung by a bee or a wasp. Go on, put your hand up. Wow. Just shows you the wee things in life that get you. And... <laughs> And it's the sins that so easily beset you. All of us have them. And while it's important for every man to understand his strength, it's important for every man to know his weakness. And sometimes it's just the little things that so easily besetting sins. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, you and me endured the cross, scorning his shame, and I have 34 seconds left, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I tell you something, there's something about understanding the grace of God. And if we can latch into that grace, folks, you not do it without it. You will not do this thing called faith and life. You'll just try harder. You'll just fake it. You'll just pretend. You'll live in a world of frustration, and the enemy just brings doubt and frustration. So God, I pray that you'd Bless these words. Pray as uh, Roy comes that you'd minister through him as well in Jesus' name. Give Roy a wee applause. <laughs>